Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bibles and open right to the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms. Uh, this morning we are looking at Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, last week we began this journey that's going to take us uh, through the summer and into the fall, taking the next few months to look at, at a selection of Psalms uh, from this wonderful book of the Bible that is such an encouragement. And I know for many of us it, it might be our favorite book of the Bible. And so we're in Psalm 3 this morning. So go ahead and find that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay, because in the seat before you, you should find a copy of the Bible down there in the book rack. Grab that copy of the Bible and find Psalm 3 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Psalm 3, we're going to read that together in just a moment. So go ahead and be finding that in your Bible. So so, so we were um, at home on Friday afternoon, and, and Stacy had one of the um, uh, young ladies who was in her discipleship group last year, had been out of town and came back in town, and so she stopped by to spend some time with my wife, and they were out on the front porch uh, sitting and chatting uh, in the swing. And, and Stacy uh, came inside and said, Tommy, come out here right now. And I've been married long enough to know, and my wife says, come here right now. Yes, ma'am. And so, so I made my way out to the front door and, and saw a site in the yard that, that I really did not know what it was. And so there was a swarm of insects that had taken over, like out of nowhere. They just come into our yard and were swarming all over the place. Now, now a couple years ago, we had some problems with the Japanese beetles. You know, have those Japanese beetles, they're terrible. We had those knockout roses in our front yard, and they would come and just destroy those knockout rose bushes. So, so I got one of those uh, bags one year, the, the bag where you put that, and it was, when, as soon as I put that bag out, they swarmed, that. it was an amazing sight to watch all these bugs come out of my bushes and go to those bags. But that's another story for another day. And so, so that was my first thought, man, these, these Japanese beetles are back. But it, was, it didn't really look like Japanese beetles. I thought they might be bees or whatever the case may be. And, and, and so, so in the providence, of God at the house next door, the, the, the exterminator was sitting there. Man, what a day, right? I mean, this is like 
stuff exterminators live for, you know? And so, so, so I, I said, well, I'll go ask him what he thinks these things are, right? And so I walked over to his truck. Apparently, he was on lunch break. I have no idea, but he had his, his radio on really loud. He had his face in his phone. And, 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 and so I said, hey, excuse me, sir. And he took him a while to recognize I was there. And then I, I said, hey, there's a, a big swarm of insects over there. Could be, you know, Japanese beetles. Could be bee. I don't know. Can you just tell me what it is? He, he looked and looked back at me like he was just completely uninterested in this, you know, this, this feat of nature that was taking place in my front yard. He said, yeah, those are mosquitoes. I'm like, mosquitoes? I mean, I know it's Charleston in, in June, but where'd you get your bug degree from? Come on, you know? And so, 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 so they weren't mosquitoes. Come to find out they were, they were bees. And, and, and so I called our local bee expert, you, you know, we have a bee expert right here in our congregation, Frank Reeder. And so I, I called Frank Reeder up and I said, Frank, th- there's a bunch of bees in my front yard. So what they did, I, I brought a picture. They, um, they took up residence in a tree in my front yard, like hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know, probably trillions of bees in that tree, right? And so, so, so I called Frank. I said, hey, Frank, this ain't good. I got all these bees. I don't want to get stung. I don't want to, you know, all the neighborhood kids to die in my front yard. Can you help me to understand what's going on? And so, so he, he calmed our anxieties. And, and, and uh, apparently these bees were just relocating. And so I don't know if they came out of the woods or where the case may be, but they came and, and, and that tree they chose in my front yard, it was like a vacation spot. They weren't going to stay there. They were just camping out. And so what Frank said is that just leave them alone. And he said, right now in the stage they're in, they're real docile. They won't bother you. Just let them be there. And you're gonna, he said, you're going to see, you know, uh, some of those bees leave and come back. They're the scout bees. And they're just trying to find another place to live. They're not going to live in your tree. It's just their vacation spot. They'll be gone in a few hours or a day. And so, so yesterday... I wasn't there when it happened, but, but just like it started, it happened again. They, they got out of that tree, and, and, and Luke and Hudson were outside. They witnessed this. It was it just this big swarm again, and they flew off, and they're all gone, like gone. And we'll never see them again, probably, I, unless they like my trees, their vacation spot. I have no idea. But it was just very fascinating to watch how these bees came in and came out. And it's just like they came from out of nowhere. I know they came from somewhere, but it was like they came from out of nowhere. It was amazing, right? And I'll tell you that to tell you this. It seems like it, doesn't it? That sometimes things just come from out of nowhere. It seems like life happens sometimes from out of nowhere. And I even think about this summer we've had at Northwood. Here's what's happened at Northwood this summer in the life of our congregation. There's been unexpected loss from out of nowhere. I can think of at least two or three people in our congregation right now who have received some very bad diagnoses of health over the last couple months from out of nowhere. This is life. It seems like from out of nowhere sometimes, the tragedy and the heartache and the pain and the suffering and the unexpected comes. And, 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 and here's how we respond, and, and understandably so. When things come from out of nowhere, when the, 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 the news of that terminal disease comes or that unexpected loss comes, here's how we typically respond. And again, understandably so. So we're overwhelmed. And I wonder if there are some of us in this room this morning that feel like we're overwhelmed with life. And, and here's what happens when we're overwhelmed with life. Sometimes we freeze up. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond, don't know how to think, don't know how to, to act. We just freeze up. Sometimes when we're overwhelmed, 
we get real fearful, don't we? Scared, like what's going to happen next? And there's going to be something else that drops on me. And so we just walk around in this constant state of fear, just waiting for more bad news to come. Or think about this. Some of us just get really despondent and depressed and, and it just becomes a really dark time for us. There's lots of ways we respond when we're overwhelmed with life. And, and here's why I know I've been alive long enough to know this, that, that every one of us have been through seasons of life where we've felt overwhelmed. And if you haven't been in that season, it's coming. You will be overwhelmed with life from time to time. That's what makes this passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning so helpful for us. This psalm is written by David. And this psalm, David writes when he is in a season of being overwhelmed with life. It's a very fascinating psalm. But in his season of being overwhelmed, certainly he was discouraged. Certainly he might have even been despondent. But the way he responds in his season of being overwhelmed is really an example for us. And, and I want to walk you through this psalm this morning and, and, and help you to understand what's going on here. And I, I want to show you as we walk through this psalm, I think it's going to be super helpful for you. I want to show you four ways that you and I can respond when we go through seasons of life where we feel overwhelmed with life. So take your Bibles, Psalm 3. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word together. Psalm 3, listen to what David says in God's Word. Lord, How my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I awake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for the time that we have now to be in your word together. And Father, I know that as we spend this time together, there are people in this congregation who right now feel overwhelmed with life. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that as we walk through this passage together, for those of us who are feeling overwhelmed, we would know that you are our help, that you are faithful to your people. And Father, I pray this morning that what would happen all across this room is that you would lift up our heads and that you would help us to see yet again that there is hope in Jesus Christ. So, Father, I know you're speaking to us this morning, and as you speak, help us to listen to listen to, to, to what you're saying to us with hearts that are eager to hear you and hearts that are eager to obey you in full surrender to your will and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Now, I, I don't know if you remember much from last week when we began uh, looking at Psalm 1 and 2 together, but I told you last week, if you remember, that Psalm 1 and 2 really serve as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And we talked about last week in, in Psalm 1 and 2 how, how David introduces us to some themes, if you will, that are going to be repeated over and over and over again in the book of Psalms. Even in this Psalm, you're going to see some of those themes from Psalm 1 and 2 Repeated. And I, and I told you this, if you remember this or not, I told you last week that, that the book of Psalms is actually divided up into five different books. And so, so Psalm 3 is really the beginning of the first 
of the five books of Psalms. The five books are, are to remind us of the ancient Torah, uh, the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But, but at any rate, you have these five books of Psalms. And, 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 and what these Psalms do is they really tell us the story of David, and they tell us a story of Israel up to when they, they were taken into exile and then came out of uh, captivity. And so it's fascinating to read these psalms because in a lot of ways, it's like reading a journal uh, from these psalmists who are going through all kinds of things, right? And, and just hearing the story of Israel from a, from a per- first person perspective. Now you have Psalm chapter 3 in the beginning of the first book of the Psalms. And let me just help you understand. And now, now stay awake and just make sure you get this, right? That this first book of the Psalms, Psalm 3 through Psalm 41, there's a theme going on here. That these, these first Psalms we read in the Psalter, they really are about God rescuing David from his enemies. Over and over again in this first book of the Psalms, you see this theme of, of David crying out to God when his enemies are coming upon him and God delivering him, uh, whether it's another nation, whether it's, it's, it's Saul, or whether it's what we read about in Psalm chapter 3, his own Son. Now, I tell you that, I tell you this, when we read Psalm 3, the Psalms, while they do tell us the story of David and Israel, uh, they're not in chronological order necessarily. And so Psalm 3 actually happens way late in David's life, towards the end of his kingship. But it's an appropriate psalm to begin book one of the Psalms with, because can you think about a darker, more overwhelming time in David's life. And if that's the theme, God rescues David from his enemies, man, this is a great psalm to start with because it is talking about one of the darkest days or some of the darkest days in David's life. Look what it says. You, you look at, at verse one. Right above verse one is what we call a superscription. In your Bible translation, it's probably italicized. Uh, that superscription gives us the context of what was happening during the time which David writes his psalm. Look at what it says. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Do you remember the story? If if you don't remember, let let me remind you of the story. David had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And after that, things just got crazy in his family. In fact, after he had that affair, a prophet named Nathan confronted David. And God spoke through this prophet Nathan and, and told David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, that there will be turmoil that would take place in his own family as a consequence for what happened with him and Bathsheba. And that's exactly what happened. There's much turmoil in David's family. David has a son named Ammon who sleeps with David's daughter, Ammon's sister, Tamar. He raped, not sleeps, he rapes her. And, and this angers David because that's not a good thing at all. But David doesn't really do anything about it. It infuriates Absalom. And so since David does nothing, Absalom takes matters into his own hands and essentially he murders his brother. And then he flees. He leaves. He leaves Jerusalem and goes into exile for a couple of years. He comes back. He and his father, David, uh, they aren't reconciled. David refuses to meet with his son because after all, his son Absalom had his other son put to death. It's not good. And so a lot of the story uh, takes place, but just just to summarize it, then what happens is Absalom, who who is young, who is handsome, 
who is persuasive. He is able to turn the hearts of the people away from King David and to himself. And so what Absalom does is he takes over the throne in Jerusalem and he pushes his dad out. And you come to 2 Samuel chapter 15 and it's really heartbreaking because after all, David's the king and David for the most part, he's been a, a good king. He's honored the Lord and under King David's reign, Israel has prospered. And now in 2 Samuel chapter 15, you read that chapter and David leaves. He walks away from Jerusalem. And it says in 2 Samuel 15 that that he covers his head. His head is down. He has some people who are still with him. Uh, They leave with him with their heads covered. They're mourning. They're crying on their way to the Mount of Olives. It's tragic. It's not how the story is supposed to go. It's not supposed to be this way. And you can understand that as David leaves Jerusalem, he's humiliated. This was his kingdom, right? God had installed him on this throne and now he's got nothing. He leaves Jerusalem and his son, Absalom, betrayed him and now sits on the throne. And now as David is on the run away from his son, Absalom, hanging his head in shame, he writes these words in Psalm 3, Lord, how many, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Do you remember Psalm 1? In Psalm 1, Psalm 1 says that the blessed man does not what? Sit in the seat of mockers. There is a seat of mockers that are mocking David. David, come on now. Look what you've done. Look how you've messed up your life. Not even God can save you now. God won't even help you. Look at how you've made a mess of your family. God has turned his back on you, right? And so you have this verse. Many say about me, there is no help for him and God. And then that little parenthetical word, Selah. Now, Bible scholars are, are all over the place as to what this word Selah means. Uh, many of these psalms that we read about in the, in the Psalter, uh, they're going to become songs that are sung at the temple during times of worship. And so this word Selah is a musical term. It could mean, all right, time to turn up the band, time to get louder. This next line, sing it really, really loud. Or it also could mean, and I think it's probably this, take a breath, pause. Stop. Think about what you just read or think about what you just sang. So stop. Think about what David's saying. On the run from Absalom, God, my foes are increasing. They're saying about me that, 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 that you won't help me. But look at what it says. Because if you're in David's shoes, what's the temptation now? to completely give up. Maybe they're right, God. Maybe you're done with me. Maybe you're not gonna help me. Maybe it's over for me and you. But you come down. Look at what he says in verse three. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. Now, I've I've never been in the military. I've never been on a SWAT team or anything like that. So I I have no experience with shields. But, But here's what I know about a shield. It doesn't go around you. It goes in front of you, right? 
And, then, and when you have that shield in front of you, uh, you leave your backside exposed or you leave your sides exposed. Even if you have one of those big body shields, which would have been common in, in David's day, it still just covers a part of you. Now, if David was writing in a 21st century context and, and maybe he had seen the movie Star Wars, he probably would have wrote something different. He would have said, Lord, you are my force field around me, right? Because that really is the idea here. God, you are around me. You just don't have my front. You got my back and my sides as well. You are a shield that surrounds me. And I don't know if, you, if you've watched much, you know, uh, television shows about police officers, you've watched, you know, The Rookie or you watch Cobbs or whatever it is, right? But, 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 but you've probably seen those SWAT teams that do have those shields. And you've seen those images on television when they're about to go into a home to get the bad guy. They put those shields out and what do they do? They don't retreat. They don't move backwards. What do they do, church? They move forward, going into battle, right? You think about shields, that's what they're designed for. They're designed to protect you, to be a line of defense as you move forward, as you go into battle. And so this is really interesting to me because here you have David who's overwhelmed with life. But here's what he's saying. God, I'm going to keep on moving forward. And I just want you to hear this word, church, that I know there are going to be seasons, and maybe it's this season right now, where you feel overwhelmed with life. Keep on moving forward in your faith. Because it's not a time for you to retreat in your faith. It's not a time for you to walk away from God. It's a time to press into your faith in those seasons where you feel overwhelmed. And I want you to move forward. Now watch this, with your eyes wide open. David knows he has enemies surrounding him. David's aware of the situation. David knows he has people that have turned on him. He's fully aware of that. So he's walking forward, knowing that not every day is a holiday, knowing that life isn't always rosy and peachy, knowing that there are going to be difficult days. When we get done this morning in our worship service, we're going to go home and we're going to pack up our car and we're going to the beach for a week uh, with my parents, right? And so it's going to be fun. They're footing the bill so we can't turn down a free vacation. All those kinds of things, it's going to be great. And so, so, so I remember growing up every single year, we always went to the same place. For all of my life, we've gone to Myrtle Beach every summer. Um, I know Myrtle Beach is your favorite place or not. I, mean, it's not. I know it's not the best place in the world, but that's just what we did. We haven't gone together as a family in probably six or seven years. My parents, they discovered the Caribbean. And so they quit taking me on free vacations. It was terrible. But now they, they, they are having a little, sim- I mean, inflation's up. So they have a little sympathy for my family. So they're taking us on a free vacation. So we're going to get in the car and go to, to the beach this afternoon. And so, so I remember back in the day, way back in the day, like 15, 16 years ago, when we were going to the beach and, and the beach was restful. I got some of my best reading done at the beach. I would take a stack of books and you can ask my wife. We would, we would go and we would sit under the umbrella because we can't be in the sun, obviously. And we would just, I would just read and I would read several books and, and, and it was great. Then something happened. You know what happened? Let me show you a picture. This happened. <laughs> I haven't read a book in 15 years. Right? I mean, I'm getting dumber every day, all those kinds of things. I mean, it's just the way it is. And so, 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 listen, now the beach in no way is restful anymore. 
I heard another pastor in our area say something like this. He said, you know, when you are, are, are going on a trip with your children, it is not a vacation. It's just a field trip, right? And, that, and that's true. So, so I, I'm going on vacation this week with my eyes wide open. I know I'm not going to be able to sit down under an umbrella and read a book. I understand that I'm not going to rest on vacation. I, I know, right, that when we go on vacation, it's going to be going and blowing every single day, trying to keep up. We're going to come home more tired than when we left. I get all that. But you know what we're doing? We're moving forward. We're going to do it with our eyes wide open. Because not every day is an easy day. Not every day is a day at the beach under the umbrella reading a book. That's not life. And David knows that's not life. So watch this. Moving forward with your eyes wide open and moving forward with your life protected. This is why David can move forward. He can move forward because he knows that God is his shield. And he can move forward with his heart determined. God is tough. I'm overwhelmed. But in this season, I'm going to strive to obey you. Because here's the deal. You know this to be true. When life is overwhelming, that's when we begin to slacken our faith, isn't it? When life is overwhelming, that's when we stop praying like we know that we need to. That's when we stop reading the Bible like we know that we need to. That's when we stop connecting with the local family of faith. When life is overwhelming, we have a tendency to pull away. But David, he shows us this example of life is overwhelming, but I'm moving forward because you are my shield. You are my protector, but it gets even better. Look at what he says. I I love this phrase. Lord, you are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Now circle that phrase, my glory, because that is interesting. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I mean, glory is one of those words that in a, a church context, we throw it around a lot. We, we talk about giving glory to God. We talk about uh, God is glorious and glory this and glory that. But, but let's be honest, um, outside of, of the church, it's not a, a word that we use a whole lot. You don't really hear the word glory a whole lot outside of the church. Uh, so what is this word glory? What does it mean? So when we talk about the word glory, it means something like this. Weighty, heavy, significant. Whatever you give glory to in your life is what's most significant to you. It's what you give weight to. It's what you devote your time to. So think about it like this. In your life, you might not know this or not, but there, there are probably lots of things that you're tempted to give glory to. Your career. I'm going to give that the most significance in my life. Your family, that's the most significant thing to me. Your wealth, my money is the most significant thing I have, whatever the case may be. And so what you end up doing, what I end up doing is we end up, right, if we're not careful, giving glory to lots of different things in our lives. When the reality is the one who is all glorious, the one who deserves the most significance in our life is Jesus Christ himself. You understand that. And so when we say glory to God, we are saying, God, you are are most significant to me. I am ascribing you worth. I am giving you significance, first place, priority in my life. And it's interesting to me what David says, because he was a king. He had a throne. He sat in Jerusalem and reigned. That's pretty glorious. But he's not reflecting on the glory of having a kingdom. He's not reflecting on the glory of sitting on a throne. He's not reflecting on the glory of being a king. He's saying, oh, God, at the end of the day, 
You are my glory. And in this season when I'm overwhelmed, you are still what's most significant to me. That, my friend, is good. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Think about in your life what it might be that you give the most significance to. Whether it's your job, your money, your family, or whatever the case may be. What happens if you're giving the most significance to anything in your life other than God? What happens in your life when that thing that you give so much significance to is taken away from you? I'll tell you what happens. Your life falls apart. Because what you gave so much significance to is gone. But when you see that Christ is the significant one, and you give him all glory, everything can be taken away. And you're still good because you still have God. He's still on his throne and reigning and ruling of your life. And so David says, right? Lord, you are shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Think about it. David left Jerusalem hanging his head. But now he says, God, you lift my head. And I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. So just think about this. When you are overwhelmed, keep on moving forward and keep on looking up. David remembers that it's not about him. You are my glory. And it's not about you either. And David also remembers what God has done for him. Now, let me show you again. Look at what it says in Psalm 3, verse 4 again. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Now, we're seeing a theme being developed that we discovered last week in Psalm chapter 2. Where is God's holy mountain? Well, according to Psalm chapter 2, God's holy mountain is Zion. Now, come back. Let me show you. In Zion, or excuse me, in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, listen to what it says. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. If you remember last week, we said that one that God installed on Zion is ultimately who, church? Jesus. Come back up to verse 2. His anointed one. Now, you, you got to see this. Remember, it's, it's connected. God made a promise to David years ago, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there would be one who would sit on the throne from David's lineage forever. Now, watch this. Here's what David knows as he's on the run from Absalom. Here's what he knows. Are you ready? Here's what he knows. This is not how the story ends. David knows, right, that God is not done, that God is going to fulfill his promise. And so David can look up. He can remember that it's not about him, that God is his glory. And he can remember, right, that God has made a promise that from his lineage, there will be a king who will sit on the throne forever. And so therefore, he can keep on looking up and he can move forward. And my friends, so can you. When life is overwhelming, you can look up and you can know, you can know that you serve a God who is your glory, who lifts your head and is faithful to fulfill in your life what he has promised. And so therefore, now watch this. You keep on moving forward, you keep on looking up and you keep on resting in his promises. You keep on resting in his promises. What's the promise? Well, Philippians 1, 6, for example. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And when you go through that season of being overwhelmed with life, that promise, it has not changed. He is still faithful. Look at what David says. Oh, I love this. You come down at verse five. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. 
I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Now, now think about this for just a moment. For some of you, when you get overwhelmed with life, what can't you do? Sleep. Some of you know it. You've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's a bad season of life and you go to bed and what does your brain do? It spins in circles. And, and you stay up all night thinking about how to get out of the mess you're in or what's going to happen next and, and you just can't sleep. Or think about this. Now watch this. Some of you, when life gets really hard, you go to sleep to do what? Try to get away from it. I mean, that, that happens, right? For, 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 for individuals who, who sometimes struggle with depression, sometimes individuals who struggle with depression will do what? Sleep hours on end just to kind of, you know, get away from the problems for a while. When you are going through a season where you're overwhelmed, right? Sleep becomes your enemy because either you can't find it or you do it too much. This is not what David's saying, is it? He's saying, God, here's what I know. Yes, life is overwhelming, but I'm looking up to you. I'm moving forward and I know your promise. I know what you promised me. You promised there'll be one who would sit on the throne from my lineage forever. And so therefore I'm gonna go to bed night and I'm gonna sleep and I'm gonna be all right. That's good. Knowing that you can rest in the promise of God. And, and, And now listen, here's why you can rest in the promise of God. Because you know it. You know that over the course of your life, God has proven himself faithful to you. In fact, here, I would love to have the time to do this, but we don't have time to do this because I got to go on vacation and you got to go to lunch. I get all that. But if we had the time, I would go around this room and I would ask you the question, hey, tell me a time when God has messed up in your life. Right? And if I were to go around the room and ask you the question, hey, can you tell me a time in your life where, 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 where God messed up in your life? None of you would say, yep, Ten years ago, man, God really messed that one up. I thought he was going to do this thing, he did this other thing, and it just didn't work out. I mean, he, he really did a bad job on that one. If we were to go around the room, none of you would say to me, yeah, uh, you know, God's got some work to do. He needs to figure out how to be God because he messed it up in my life. No, no, none of you, none of you would say that. Instead, if we were to go around the room this morning and we were to testify about God's work in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, every one of you would say, time and time and time and time again, God has been what, church? Faithful to me. I didn't know how my story was gonna end up. I didn't know what was gonna happen. Man, I was fearful, I was scared, it was stressful, but God came through for me. He proved himself over and over again. He was so faithful to me. That is the testimony of a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, life is tough. Yes, it's hard. But as I move forward in faith, what I've seen God do is God be faithful. And if that's your testimony, which I'm pretty sure it is, church, if that's your testimony, a testimony of God's faithfulness to you in every season of life, then tonight when you go to bed, you can go to sleep. And when life gets hard, you know what you can do? You can calm down. And some of you need to. I get it. We've been there with you. Life can be overwhelming. Stay calm because God is still faithful to you and he's going to be faithful to you in this season. Stay calm. Stay confident. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I know it's hard, but it's going to be all good because God's love for you and his promises to you have not changed for a second. You understand?
This world will tell you what? God can't help you. Just like the mockers in in Psalm 3 verse 1. God's not going to help you. You blew it. And this world's going to say, turn to us. Let us help you. Let us help you figure it out. Let me show you a picture of my favorite place in the world. Let me show you. You know that's a lie. I can't stand that place. I mean, they have cheap furniture and everything else. But, but, but anyway, so, so, so in, in Norway, I, the Ikea there had an idea. And, and Norway, Sweden, all those places, Ikea is really big over there and all that kind of stuff. That's where you get your Swedish meatballs from, all that kind of stuff. But, but at any rate, uh, in Norway, over the last year, they really did experience a baby boom. Um, and, and so, so I don't know if you know this or not, but when you go to Ikea and you look at their furniture, uh, it's got different names, right? Like it's called this or that. And, and, and so they actually go through lots of different names uh, to try to figure out what to name their desk, right? So you buy the desk and the desk is called this, but, but they also thought these other five names to call the desk, but they didn't call the desk that. And so they called it the desk this. And so they rejected those names and the desk got that name. You, you follow me? And so, so, so Ikea's got lots of names, that they thought of over the years for stuff. And so since there was this baby boom in Norway, Ikea said, hey, not only will we sell you cheaply made furniture, here's what we'll also do. We'll name you baby. We got lots of names. We didn't want to name our desk that, but you can name your son that, right? We didn't want to name the TV cabinet that, but well, you can name your daughter that. And so you can go to the website and, for the, the Ikea in Norway. You can pay a fee and you have a, access to a database of names like furniture names that, because who doesn't want to name their child after a rejected desk name, right? I mean, everybody wants to do that. But you can go to that website and you can pick out a name. Uh, all that to say this, what Ikea wants wants to do is what every big business wants to do, solve all your problems for you. You go on to Amazon.com and what do you do? You go to Amazon.com because you can get everything at Amazon.com. It's amazing what you can have delivered to your house, right? You go to Walmart because I heard a preacher say this one time and, 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 and he wasn't right, but he said this. He said, if, if you can't get it at Walmart, you don't need it. Oh, my friend. That's another story for another day. But, but all that to say, you, have a, you live in a world where this world is saying, turn to us. We've got all the answers to your problems. We got, we got this for you. We got that for you. Turn this way. And God is saying to you, no, 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 no. I am the one who has proven myself faithful to you time and time again. You stay calm and you stay confident in my promises. Rest in me. You can go to bed tonight and put your head down your pillow and you can sleep well because you know that God is is in control. Keep on moving forward. Keep on looking up. Keep on resting in his promises. And finally, keep on being a blessing. The mission doesn't change. Whether you're overwhelmed or not, the mission stays the same. Your purpose, your purpose in life, no matter what your season of life may be, your purpose in life is always to point people to the true king. And David knows there's a true king, a king that is coming, right? A king named Jesus who's been promised to David from his lineage in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, this is really interesting. You come down, look what it says. Because when you read verse 7, it really doesn't sound like David wants to be a blessing. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. 
Now, I don't know what your time with the Lord was like this morning. I hope you got this morning before you came to church and, and I spent some, spent some time in prayer. I hope you did that this morning. But I don't think if you spent time in prayer this morning, I don't think any of you prayed, God, you know who I don't like right now? Would you please kick their teeth in for me? <laughs> if you did that, you need to make an appointment with me. We need to have some conversations, right? I mean, that's just not how we typically pray, you, know? you understand? But, but this is how David prays. God, I kick their teeth in. Why would David pray such a thing? I'll tell you why. Because David knows. He knows that Absalom isn't the promised one. He knows that Absalom is a usurper, that he dethroned David, that he's getting in the way of God's plan. And so David is praying, God, justice, justice, your plan, your purpose, right? You have established a kingdom through this promised one that you're sending. God, please do not let anyone get in the way of your plan being accomplished. And then he goes on to say, salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. May your blessing be on the people who see you as the real king. You see it? What David is after in these verses is he's not after vindication. He's not saying, God, make it right for me. He's saying, God, make it right for yourself. You want to bless the world through this promised one. Father, make it be so. You see, your purpose is always to point people to the true king, and your troubles don't change your purpose. Because here's what happens. When you and I are overwhelmed with life, the last thing we tend to think about is the calling of God on our lives and how God wants to use us for his glory. But it could be in this season of being overwhelmed that this really could be one of the greatest seasons of fruitful ministry that God is giving you. Because in this season of being overwhelmed with life, God is opening up so many opportunities for you to point people to the king and share with people how in your dark days, Christ Jesus is your hope that you're holding on to. He's your shield and your protector and you're looking up to him. You see, this season of being overwhelmed for you can be a great season of gospel ministry if you'll remember that your purpose is always to point people to the true king. And if you don't let your troubles change your purpose. You see what I'm saying? My friend, I know. I know that in this room this morning, there are some of us who are going through that season of being overwhelmed. And what we hear from from King David in these verses is that yes, life is hard. But listen, 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 listen. If you're a follower of Jesus, life is hard, but it's never hopeless. And this morning, your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is still full of hope. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me help you connect some dots for a moment. The Psalm 3, written by King David. And, and you see two things in the Psalms. And, and just bear with me for a moment. I know it's lunchtime, but just listen to this. You see really two things in the Psalms. One, you see David as a picture of the king who is to come. And you also see David as one who takes refuge and the king who is to come. That makes sense to you? And so in this psalm, you really see both. David is taking refuge in the king who is to come, but he's also at the same time a picture of the king who is to come. In other words, Psalm 3, in in some ways, it is prophetic. Think about it. David, rejected by his own, 
rejected by his own family. Some years later, the true king will be born. And this true king will grow up and begin to minister. And John says in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And then Jesus will go to a cross. David, in Psalm 3, would pray something like this. God, my enemies are around me, and they say, there is no help for me from you. And on the cross, Jesus hung in your place and mine. And at the foot of the cross, people looked up and shouted, you say you're a king? Come on down from that cross. Your God can't do anything for you. And on the cross, Jesus Christ was mocked. In Psalm chapter 3, in a season of being overwhelmed, David cries out to God. And God answers him. God restores him. On the cross, in a season of being overwhelmed, experiencing the death that you and I deserve, Jesus Christ cries out. We'll get to that psalm in a couple weeks. And he's met with silence. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ would experience your agony and my agony. On the cross, Jesus would suffer the death that we deserve. The punishment for your sin and my sin we placed upon him. He would experience the wrath of God in our place so that we would never have to experience the wrath of God. And on the cross, Jesus would die the death of a criminal. A con- he would, an innocent man would die as a convicted man, even though he had done no wrong. And on the cross, Jesus would take the full punishment for your sin so that you could receive the gift of his righteous life applied to you so your sins could be forgiven. And then three days later, this one sent by the Father who was rejected by his own, would walk out of a grave victoriously to show us that he was more than a man. He is the God-man, the risen King of kings and Lord of lords who now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me, reigning and ruling so you and I might look up and keep our eyes focused on him so we might know that he is our shield, so we might know that he is the lifter of our heads, so we might know that he has given us divine purpose, so we might know that he is faithful to fulfill all of his promises to us this one who died and rose again for us. He is faithful to finish in you the work that he has began. He is faithful to his people. And so my friend, keep on moving forward. My friend, keep on looking up. My friend, keep on resting in his promises and keep on being a blessing because the one who lived and died and rose again for you. And maybe this morning, you've never experienced the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. We would love for you today to begin a relationship with Jesus, to believe that Jesus died in your place and rose again. So all of your sins can be forgiven and you can be given the gift of life. And this morning, we're gonna have a time of invitation. And during this time of invitation, it's your opportunity to respond to the good news of the gospel. In the corners of this room are two crosses. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there who's ready to pray with you 
and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, you're going to see the, a number uh, come on your screen. Text the name Jesus to that number, and someone will reach out to you and help you today to begin a relationship with Jesus. Let today be the day of your salvation and find that Christ really can be your glory. Maybe you're in this room this morning or you're watching online and you do feel overwhelmed by life. Now, I know some of your stories. I know what some of you are going through. Others of you, I have no idea. But here's what I do know. There's an invitation for you. Like David, you can cry out. And you can cry out in confidence. And you can cry out believing that God really is your help in times of trouble. And maybe during this time of invitation, I don't know, you, you want to just take a moment and bow where you are in prayer. You want to come and gather down front just as a symbol of God. I'm, I'm laying uh, my, my, my troubles down before you. But maybe during this time of invitation, like David, you just want to cry out and say, God, you know my enemies surround me. And I'm asking you to help me this morning to look up, to rest in your promises, and to know that, that I can lay my head down at night knowing that you are in control. However, God is leading you to respond this morning. You respond to him by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for this wonderful reminder from Psalm 3 that you are faithful to your people. Father, for that person in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray today will be the day that they would give their life to Jesus once and for all. And Father, for those of us in this room who are your followers, but who are feeling overwhelmed by life. Father, may we run to your presence this morning and we seek your help. And Father, I pray this morning you would lift up our heads and that we would yet again know that you are our shield. And because you are, we can move forward in faith. So Father, in these final moments, we're trusting you're gonna have your way among your people. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise to your feet. as a time of invitation together.